Hello and welcome to Film Kid Asks, the podcast where I ask questions to working professionals in the film industry from the perspective of someone just getting started. My name is Jordan and today I'm joined by Jonah Haber, the director only a few years out of film school who has worked with companies like Google and Fiverr. His thesis film went to several film festivals all over the world and was picked up for distribution by Dust. More recently, he has directed musical performances for Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel Live. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jonah. Thank you for having me. So you studied film at Ryerson University, which is where we study. How was your overall schooling experience? Um, yeah, it's a, a solid first question. Um, overall, I think I wouldn't do it differently, but um, as I'm sure you've experienced yourself, film school is really what you make of it and not really a place you go for the academics. It's more of a place you go to meet people and have access to equipment, um, which really were two very, very integral things for at least the first few projects of my career as like being able to meet people and work with people and like build those connections that I still have today. And then also, you know, when starting out, no one's really giving you money to shoot your passion project. So, you know, the fact that you have free equipment available because of the cage is, is pretty in, invaluable as well. Um, so I would say all in all, the film school experience was what you make of it. For me, I feel like I made a decent use of my time but i know it, it really varies um i can't say i would recommend going there just for the academics alone though because most of the stuff you can just learn on on youtube or just by going on set yeah of course so then my follow-up to that would be what advice would you give to film students to get the most out of their time at school just like jumping off that i think the, the biggest thing is just you know finding every opportunity you can to experiment, make mistakes, and then also look for, you know, ways that you can pursue building your own portfolio, you know, through school projects, through extra time you have there. Like, for example, like one big thing for me while I was at school is like the concept of double dipping, the idea of like having like a school project that um, had very loose guidelines and having a personal project that you could kind of like say is the school project and putting all your eggs in that basket of this personal project, submitting it as the school assignment. So, um, you know, you get marks for something you would have done anyway. Um, and just, yeah, doing little things like that, um, making a lot of mistakes. Most of what I made at Ryerson was really, really shit and never saw the light of day. But I think that's also an important part of the film school experience is just, you know, making mistakes and discovering what doesn't work. Um, and then, yeah, eventually something might land and you might create something you're proud of. I think that's great advice. And, you know, obviously everyone makes a, a bad film or two at film school, but while you were there, you created some really standout projects, both in and outside of class. And many of them are really visually striking and beautifully crafted, which has led to opportunities, you know, working on commercials and music videos and experimental film. What excites you the most about short form, visually driven projects? that is tough to sum up in like a single answer. Um, there's like a, a lot of things that are exciting about short form, you know, like, like, as you said, visual content, like commercials or music videos or fashion films or like experimental, even spec pieces. Um, for me, one thing that even now I circle back to is I really uh, love the idea of going into a production, doing pre-production and post in the course of a couple of months. I think that is just, such an amazing thing just for you know building experience and figuring out what you do and don't like the fact that you know you can work on a short for a year and a half um, and just go through like the the ropes of it one time or you could do like four or five you know sequential um like short form visual pieces 
you learn so much through the entire process that you can then apply to the next one. And it being able to like go through that whole process more times, um, I think you're able to just learn a whole lot more um, with regards to like what does work and what doesn't work. Um, so I really like, I like the quick process. I find I get bored reasonably quickly as well. So it's nice being able to like come up with something, shoot it and be done in a few months rather than lingering for a while with that, with that said, you know, I do love the idea of creating longer pro projects eventually. And I'm sure that question is going to come up later, but um, yeah, I, don't, I, I think for like the growth part of my career, I've really enjoyed just like taking on as much as I can to figure out what I like and what I don't like. And I think I've definitely gravitated toward, yeah, just like striking visuals because um, I like watching that and, you know, you end up enjoying you, you enjoy making what you enjoy watching. So that probably is why I enjoy music videos so much because I, I really love watching them as well. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, I think we had a director on recently that mostly works in TV, almost exclusively works in TV. And that was one of the things that he said. He was like, it's exciting, you know, working on a project for a month or two and then getting to do something entirely different afterwards. Uh, so I think that's definitely, that's fair enough. Um, so then what would you say are some of the biggest challenges of working on like short form and commercial, specifically commercial projects? Because I think that's a lot of that's a thing that a lot of us will want to do coming out of film school. So yeah. So what are some of the the challenges that go with that? There, there's a lot. Uh, I think just like from like the beginning of the process, the hardest thing coming out of film school, especially is getting someone to trust you for the first time. It's, it's kind of a catch 22 and I'm sure you've heard this from everyone you've spoken to where it's very hard to get in to like the commercial world without commercial experience. So it's kind of how do you how do you even do that to begin with? That would be like the first difficulty. Um, the other big challenges is just like a lot of your time is spent pitching. Like maybe eighty to ninety percent of the projects you pitch on um, don't land, uh, which is just the reality of the industry. Um, and it's really just hoping for like that one in ten, one in fifteen that do hit that really you know supplements your income for a few months and also you know gives you the ability to get on set again like you're in front of your computer so much more than people expect you to be um and then once you're actually on set uh just like remembering that it's not your project at the end of the day it's you're you're kind of a service person and you're creating something that's in the client's mind and some projects have more creative freedom than others and uh, sometimes you are able to put a lot of yourself into it um, but at the end of the day, they have a brief, they know what they want. And, uh, even if you feel really, really strongly that something will be better a certain way, sometimes you just, you can't say that because it's not in the brief and it's not what the client wants. So all of that is just like important to manage expectations because it seems like, you know, just going in like, oh, this is the dream. Once I start doing this it's going to be like filming and, and all that but the reality of it is there's a lot of hurdles even when you're doing it and wouldn't change it for anything but it definitely was like a little bit of like a, an eye-opener once I started doing it more and more um, which is why I think it's important to balance uh, personal projects in there as well kind of get those moments of sanity where you're able to you know actually express yourself and, and do something for, for you rather than you know to sell a product or you know create a client vision or whatever it is yeah and I like that you brought up personal projects because I will be asking you about that shortly. But I did want to ask a quick follow up because uh, you did say that the one of the hardest parts is getting someone to trust you. So how were you mm -hmm. able to get someone to trust you? Thanks, Ryerson, for that, because that ties back to uh, 
just the free equipment at Ryerson, honestly. As much as I had free time at Ryerson, I was trying to do freelance stuff on the side, you know, starting off doing like really, really crap, like 1K budget, like commercial projects where I wasn't taking home anything. I was trying to fit it in between my school schedule and whatever else I was working on, just using Ryerson's gear and just trying our best to like steal locations and, you know, find stuff for free and just try and build like a portfolio. And it, it just was like, it was a slow, slow climb of, you know, trying to build anything that could show clients that you have a vision that could work for what they're going for. I'm sure you've heard as well that in commercials, it's really easy to find yourself in a niche. And that's something that um, is very true. And you almost want to figure that out ahead of time like what do you want to do is it cars is it technology is it food is it product um kind of figuring out what that niche is early on and and building your like spec portfolio to align with that is really helpful as well um but also uh something that is just really important is just creating good work even if it's not in the commercial space for me um glow was the project i did end of second year and that was kind of like the first video I had that had been successful and that led to a lot of opportunities as well even though you know I'm not being paid to create videos like that um that did at least show people that I'm capable of uh of creating works that aren't terrible um I guess and even if it isn't the niche that I find myself working in most of the time I think it's like finding ways to create good work for no money is the best use of film school I'd say and just, yeah, also trying to be a little aware of where you want to be, what niche you want to fall into. And, uh, yeah, just trying to build a, a portfolio spec that kind of aligns with that. And eventually, you know, if you pitch on enough stuff and cold call enough, something might land and you might get your first opportunity and from there kind of snowballs a little bit. That's great. So you brought up Glow and I wanted to talk about that because a lot of your work, Glow and Equinox, and even the the live performances that you directed for the Jimmies, uh, a lot of your work kind of marries movement of the performer with camera movement. Why do you think you're so drawn to rhythmic and movement-based work? That is a good question. Um, I don't think I have like a very clean answer for that because I'm not really sure. Um, I just feel comfortable with it. I find that nothing excites me more on set than pulling off like some shot in my mind that was super complex and very transition-y and like was something that I felt I hadn't seen before. Um, that has always excited me. And I, I find working with dance and, and interesting camera moves and, and those two things, I think, just blend together so naturally um, because it's you know, if you're not working with like a movement based medium, um, it's kind of hard to find motivation for the camera to move in crazy ways. So because I like moving the camera in crazy ways, it kind of makes sense to have movement in the performance as well. So I think that uh, is a big part of it too. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that's a good answer. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's why, but that is kind of the first. It was an abstract find. question and a perfectly fine answer for it. Uh, so as mentioned, I'm going to circle back to the the personal projects. So at this point in your career, how important do you think it is to balance the kind of paid commercial work with personal creative projects like Equinox? It's like the most important thing for sure. Because um, yeah, it's it's really easy to just keep bidding and pitching on commercials and, and working on like potentially soul-sucking projects that you don't 
necessarily love. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like, it's good, but it's not great. And it's not why you're doing it. Uh, like, it's not the reason why you decided to go into film in the first place. So I think it's really important to create things for you and uh, find time to fit that in. Because the other side of it is, is not only does it help ground you a little bit and keep you a little bit sane, um, those are the projects that people actually respond to at the end of the day. Um, like last November, October, I guess, October, November, whenever we shot Equinox, that was at a time when I had just gotten off of a few commercials and I was just like, Tiff had just done it, finished and I watched like 30 movies there and I was just feeling like so like creatively like unsatisfied seeing all these amazing films where people are telling stories that mean something to them and creating stuff that is, you know, wholly artistic. And, you know, I spent like the last four months just doing commercial work. Um, so for me, I, I really didn't have a choice. I had to I had to do something that was creative and I was really grateful to have such an amazing team willing to do that with me as well. After I finished that project, uh, it kind of like left me feeling content for a good six months afterwards of being able to focus on like more commercial work and stuff that wasn't necessarily the most creative sort of long-winded answer here. Um, so in terms of personal satisfaction, it helps in that sense. But then at the same time, that's what sort of led to these Kate jobs and these Kimmel and Fallon jobs, which I would have never predicted. I, I really did Equinox because I kind of had to in order to be able to go back to commercial stuff. And, you know, that ended up being the project that resonated with people really well and helped me do projects that I, I really found a lot of like creative joy making. So, you know, those passion projects are often the ones that lead to the opportunities you care about and also that keep you sane. So, yeah, that would be my answer to that. I would say it's pretty damn important. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer. So I am going to do one more kind of vague, broad question about your body of work, and that is your use of vibrant color. It's something that you can find in a lot of your portfolio is a very vibrant color palette why do you think you're so drawn to bold colors the funny thing is i've never thought of myself as being drawn to crazy bold colors but it keeps happening it seems i, I don't know i just like i have shots in my mind and the way i see them is colorful a lot of the time i, I can't really say say why i just i feel like it, it maybe it ties to like that what i was saying earlier about trying to create striking images and um, you know, dynamic movements and stuff that, you know, kind of flows in, in a, in a cool way. And I find that, I guess, color and specifically like transitioning between colors ties into that feeling of flow and that feeling of creating something that's dynamic and moving. Um, because a lot of the work that is like, as you said, those bold, vibrant colors, you know, a lot of those aren't just like single hues it's a lot of like transition points and lighting hues and DMX stuff and I think that ties into like that idea of like creating um dynamic interesting shots and I think you know going from like standard like you know tungsten versus daylight you don't really get that same sense of dynamic uh, shift in hue that you would with just bold color changes so maybe that's why but truthfully I don't really know that's fair again these are these are some kind of abstract questions so you're doing great so as the director you're there from the pitch to pre-production through filming until you hand in your cut so what to you is your favorite part of the filmmaking process I mean without a doubt just being on set it's not I would, wouldn't say it's the most important part I would say pre-production is the most important part for sure but being on set and just kind of seeing what like the the month leading up 
has accumulated to, you know, spend like all this, all this time in front of your computer and like creating diagrams and like going to meetings and scouts and looking at your shot list and all that and being able to actually show up and see the thing that you've been like developing for so long actually come to life and be built in front of you. That's a feeling unlike anything else. So just being on set, seeing the thing in your mind in real life, that is, is I think the reason we all do it. Um, so that's, yeah, best part for sure. The part that you do the least is always the best part. How I am curious, because again, you do a lot of work with dancers and, you know, on commercials where it's not the acting uh, sometimes is more of a a means to an end with commercials where you need something specific, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily story driven in the same way. So how have you kind of built a vocabulary in communicating with you know, actors to get that specific thing that you need, uh, rather than, you know, something where you can kind of discuss character and, and story. Um, and yeah, and ha- have you gotten any tips and tricks that has helped you out? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And honestly, that's a, a place where I think I need to build the most. It's just because, it, as you said, a lot of the work I've done isn't really super acting heavy. It's a lot of just creating, you know, moods and, and vibes and atmospheres. And just uh, making sure, you know, the set is a place where those can be created. So a lot of my process up till now is just creating a setting and an atmosphere and a mutual understanding with whoever is performing or acting in the video. And just, you know, making sure we're on the same page and just giving them the freedom to kind of express themselves uh, a lot of the time. And if there's adjustments I need to make to that, then I'll make those adjustments. But I try and not be too heavy-handed with directing when it comes to like these experimental or movement-based pieces because you know if it feels too rigid it won't have that authentic flow and you know audiences will be able to sense that um in like my limited you know more traditional experience working with actors i guess on my thesis and a couple of commercial projects i think and this is just like directing 101 the biggest thing is just not result directing don't say what you want to see um figure out a way to get there. So a lot of the time I spend on more narrative style projects is coming up with prompts to work with the actors if, you know, they're maybe not landing an emotion the way I want to see it. I can't tell them to be sad. I need to figure out a situation to put in their mind on, you know, how to make them genuinely feel sad uh, rather than, you know, tell them what I want to see. So that, that's what I try and do most is try not to tell the performers what I want to see and just try and find a way to guide them there without explicitly saying it. But I don't think there's one way to do that. I think there's many ways to do that. And it really depends on the project. So as this is an industry that is all about connections and the people that you know, how do you think students can start to build those connections? And how did you start to build those connections? For me, at least it was film school. So, you know, already everyone's doing well on that sense. Um, Because the people you meet in school are very likely going to be a lot of the same people you work with professionally as well. And just kind of Finding people who you really vibe with and work well with while you're in school is, is so, so important. So that, I, I would say, is the first thing. Um, next, I would say, and as dumb as it is, Instagram is pretty key as well. Um, I think Instagram is like the LinkedIn of creative fields. as which is, Again, it's still so weird to say because it's just like a, a social media site. But, I mean, you can, like my first opportunity uh, working on like a large project doing like assistant directing work came about because of Instagram. It was left a comment on a director's video. He ended up seeing this fashion film I did and then Glow as well. And then he reached out and then, you know, next thing we know, worked with him for like two years, just like 
yeah, doing all sorts of crazy projects. And that just happened because of like a single word left on one of his pictures on Instagram. Um, and, you know, you hear so many stories about, you know, sending out a cold email or, you know, a DM or something just leading to that first opportunity. So it really can come any way. And I think not being afraid to reach out where something that happens is a no, just be polite about it. But that also just boils down to, at least when it comes to directing, just having a body of work that you're proud of and creating those passion projects while in school and, you know, having something that you feel accurately depicts who you want to be as a creative. Obviously, with COVID, it's been different because there's no in-person events. So, you know, everything is even more digital. But um, I think it's always been that way. So I think events help as well. But, you know, at an event, you're not going to be showing someone your work, right? We need to eventually do something digital anyway, like sending a follow-up email with like an EP uh, that you maybe met at some networking thing um, where they end up needing to see your work anyway. So I don't know, just being on top of like your digital game, making sure all your work is online and then uh, not being afraid to reach out to people you think you could work with. Also cold, cold emailing artists work too. I've done a few of, you know, those, you know, DMing an artist that I liked early, early on while I was at Ryerson and gotten a few music videos that way as well. Um, but you never know. Yeah, I think that's really great advice and a good thing to keep in mind as a student, because I know a lot of people are afraid to reach out and, and ask uh, those questions. So I think it's good to hear that. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask a couple questions just about uh, your career thus far. I know it's just starting, but um, what has been the most rewarding part of your career thus far? Like in terms of projects or like more vague than that? Um, I think projects would be a good a good way to approach the question. There, there are a few projects that I have felt have been very rewarding. It's It's tough to nail down. I'd say most recently... I'd say the first Tate video, uh, like the the Jimmy Jimmy Fallon one, was potentially like the most rewarding project I felt recently because like the pitch was like this crazy, like full like song long wonder shot with like a hundred feet of like movement in studio where everything had to be lit going through like four different setups and throughout the entire like pre production and even like most of the shoot people weren't super confident we were going to pull it off even i kind of lost confidence like six hours into the shoot day that we were going to be able to like actually get the shot and then in like the last hour of the day we we managed to get it and just like that feeling of like you know a month and a half of just like having this like very 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 precisely shot listed thing in my mind that it was the most complex shot i'd ever done by like a significant margin pulling that off and and knowing that it was possible and that, you know, this shot does work. That was just like a, a big, big moment for me, I guess, just like feeling like, you know what, maybe, maybe this job is going well. Maybe, maybe I can direct because, you know, the shot actually works. Um, so that was pretty big. Anytime a project turns out the way you imagine it is always nice. In school, it was like 90% of the time, like you have something in your mind and then you shoot it and then it doesn't turn out even close to how it was in your mind and you never release it because it was just, crap and then eventually things start being like pretty consistently okay so that has been a nice change as well and it's even worse in covid because not only are you making all the normal school compromises uh but also covid compromises so the projects oh, yeah. we made this past year we're never ever gonna see the light of day that's okay um so i guess kind of then the flip side is what is your biggest creative or career goal that's also a good one which i 
I'm still kind of figuring out. Uh, I don't know. I think for for now, just you know, continuing to work on the projects I'm doing, and um, I, I think eventually, like every director, it would be really nice to move into the narrative space, but. I wouldn't even say that's on my radar right now because it really is a, a super different world. For now, at least with music videos and commercials, I just, I guess, I guess a decent goal there would be to be able to only take on the projects that, you know, stimulate me creatively, but, you know, not exactly the most commonplace. So just got to keep, keep doing it until eventually that becomes a reality, hopefully. Um, but yeah, just continuing to work is, is all I can really ask for. It's just, as long as I'm able to make stuff, then, you know, I'm happy. So that that's all I'd say to that. It's just, yeah, being able to continue this career and survive off of it and uh, keep making projects that I'm proud of. That's awesome. Uh, so now I'm going to open it up to a few of my friends. When you see student films, is there anything um, that could instantly improve the quality if they added it? Good question. I don't think there's necessarily like a blanket answer to that. It's funny because even in, in my year, there's kind of like trends. I'm just speaking thesis films right now because I think that's probably like the most useful response answer to give you because obviously that's what you guys are all thinking about um, leading into, I guess you have a few more years until then, but that's really like the the main point of Ryerson is your thesis. Um, I would say just trying to avoid cliche as much as possible um but also making sure you tell stories that you're actually logistically able to tell i think that is something that i have seen a lot um in student films and like thesis projects of people just biting off stories that are too big for them to realistically execute um on you know student you know thesis level um keeping the stories to ones that are actually possible to shoot and not and honestly like it's sad to say because you know you want the focus to be on the story and all that but if you are trying to break into like the commercial or music video space production value and execution matter a lot story obviously is still king but you know something isn't you know necessarily shot in a way that feels professional it, it isn't going to do very well even if it is like well actually if it is the greatest you know story ever told it'll probably still do well but if it's you know if the story is just good, but the actual execution isn't, um, then that is really going to work against you. So I think just like being really realistic about what you're able to execute, like look at your past projects, what has worked, what hasn't, and trying to make sure your story fits within the mold of, you know, this is something I could realistically do well, rather than pull off. It shouldn't be about pulling it off and narrowly, you know, making it work. It should be about what can I, I can, what can I genuinely do, do well with my, my means and what's available to me from Ryerson and the performers I can get. I hope that is helpful. Thank you. Hello, I apologize if there is some sounds. I'm in a cafe, but I was wondering, well, a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast and the people that are on the call are from Ryerson. And I was wondering if you had any classes that you took that were like additional to the mandatory content that mm -hmm you would recommend or you thought like you didn't expect them to be good but they were very interesting or anything of like class-wise that you took in film school that really helped you out that's a really good question i would say the only not only but the first class that comes to mind is um 
the thing is, I don't know if it's going to be offered again because it was uh, it was like a one semester thing. But they brought Adam Agoyan in for a professionally related uh, class where we basically spent the whole class talking to him and watching his movies and rough cuts and just it, it really didn't have much structure. It was really just like a conversation with Adam every week, which I found to be just really insightful and useful to learn about his process. So if that's available, I would 100% recommend taking it. Um, with regards to other classes that really helped, I would say, and I personally, oddly enough, didn't take the directing professional. Um, I took uh, cinematography instead, um, just because I felt that directing was something that I could do myself online. And I'd rather um, learn a little bit more about some other like aspects of production just to understand it better. So I really enjoyed Carver's class. Um, and I think he's like a, a really insightful, knowledgeable, you know, resource to have. Um, so I'd recommend that as well. If uh, Even if you're not going into cinematography, just understanding how that department works is really useful as a director. Obviously, like critiques are insanely useful, but those are mandatory. So you're going to take that anyway. So I would say in terms of electives, the Adam Agoyan class is really, really key. And then uh, cinematography with Tarver. And then I also really enjoyed creative coding, actually, uh, as well. But I think that was, uh, it really depends on, yeah, who you are, if that is your thing. But creative coding was really great. It was, because I know you mentioned earlier, you kind of retrofitted a lot of your projects to like things that you wanted to do anyway. And that was Glow, right? Was the, cre for yeah. the creative coding class? It wasn't. It was actually right after creative coding, but um, I used like what I like a lot of what I learned in creative coding. I used for Glow. Uh, the funny thing is, had I made Glow like a year or two later, um, I wouldn't have had to do any of that because a lot of the stuff I did was just like you know already exists in the world. Like I created like a trigger system for these strobe lights hit on beat, but I could have just done that with DMX. I just didn't know DMX at that point, so. I don't know. I, I just think it, it's useful. It, it was a useful class that puts you in a headspace you wouldn't normally be in with a lot of the other like mandatory like film classes. So I also, you know, know people who really didn't enjoy it. So I think it just depends on the kind of, you know, person you are and if that is your thing or not. Hey, Jonah. Um, quick question. Uh, as a younger director on set, I don't know if this is even a problem for you, but do you ever have like older crew members maybe not take you as seriously or maybe not respect you uh, to the degree that is necessary for you to move forward in your work? And I'm wondering how you deal with that as a younger director. I have been fortunate enough to not really have had experienced that too much. Um, I also think I don't look that young, which probably helps too, but I do have um, one friend comes to mind who has had issues with that on set. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, older, especially union guys, you know, it's kind of hard to change how they might, you know, necessarily act. All you can do is just be professional and, uh, you know, show that you know what you're doing and uh, hopefully the respect comes with that. I know I've done a few jobs with, you know, union guys I've never worked with before that, you know, initially you could kind of feel the vibe was a little weird, but within like an hour of, you know, they bring up a question and you have an answer ready to go because, you know, you came to set prepared. I find a lot of the time, you know, respect is just, you know, they don't expect you to know what you're talking about. And then, you know, as soon as you have the answers to their questions and you're, you have a plan and you're not, you know, showing up on set, just figuring it out. I think a lot of the time you can, you can get that respect that way. But 
yeah, I do. I have heard stories about um, younger looking directors and DCs who have had issues with that. I just personally haven't experienced it myself. But yeah, at the end of the day, I would say there's, if someone's acting that way, there's nothing you can really do besides just pulling off your project and making a note to your producer saying, don't hire this person again. You know, I find like that silent, you know, blacklisting is the best way to do things. But I have had crew, not because of the age thing that just I didn't like working with. And I've just told my producer no to that person again. Yeah. That's kind of how I deal with things. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Thanks. Um, and then, sorry, I had another question just based on, on this. Because uh, I, I do know that you've worked, obviously, in different crew positions on small budget things, ADing and, you know, and shooting. Has there been anything, any role in particular that has really helped you with directing, whether that be, you know, ADing helping you figure out prep and organization things and how to maintain a schedule or DPing? And is there anything that you would recommend for aspiring directors getting a little bit of familiarity with? Um, yeah, I think that question's super subjective and depends on what kind of person you are. I, I personally found the most useful thing for learning how to direct was directing, um, which is you know, the, end, the reality of it. But other than that, I would say any way you can get on set is going to be useful. I would say more useful than, I, I'll also say, you know, thesis films are really nice to get on set as too as well. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, an understanding at Ryerson, like your first two years, you end up doing like a bunch of thesis films because that's just the way it goes. Because you need support on thesis and, you know, first and second years kind of want to get that on set experience. But um, I will say at a certain point, it no longer really becomes too useful. Um, to do like the thesis films once you kind of understand how that works I think there's nothing more valuable than getting onto real sets to see how it runs in real life uh, because it is very very different than a thesis production when you know people aren't all there working for free you know there's like really you know you have a client breathing down the director's neck and just seeing like all the extra positions that exist that you wouldn't really see on a thesis film like for example in production you know on a thesis you might just have your producer um, and that's pretty much it. But then on like larger productions, you've got an EP, you have a producer, you have a PC, you have a PM. There's like a whole hierarchy as well uh, that just doesn't exist because there's no clients to deal with or time management. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so I would say just getting on set's really key. But I think to direct, you just have to direct. ADing, it's, it's funny because it has very little to do with actually directing. The only thing with ADing is like you work close the director in production but like at the end of the day your job is keeping everyone on time not necessarily doing anything creative or working with talent or anything like that so i would say just like even if it's like you and a couple friends just find opportunities to direct um that's the best way to build that experience that's a great answer and i think that's where we'll end it uh but before we do i did ask you to prepare five film recommendations and i'm very curious as to what those will be because you are an avid movie watcher from what I can tell of your Instagram. Uh, so yeah, so please let me know what those are and why you chose them. Yeah. Uh, I just went through my IMDb ratings right before this call. Um, and was reminded of like some of my favorite movies. I pick movies that I recommend and that I rate highly based off of my enjoyment, not necessarily how good they are objectively. Cause I think at the end of the day, movies are entertainment. And if you enjoy something, it doesn't matter how perfectly executed it is or anything. If it like connects with you, then that's what matters most. 
So I have listed movies that I really like. The first would be The Iron Giant, um, mainly because I grew up on that movie and I've rewatched it dozens of times and it still hits. It's just so great and Bad Bird really doesn't mess up. So Iron Giant for sure. Um, Never Look Away, uh, just because it's pretty different than The Iron Giant. It's this uh, German movie that came out a couple of years ago. Um, it's super long, uh, but it really is like an odyssey of this uh, artist's life. And I think it, it's just like, I don't know, it really has resonated with me in a, a lot of ways. Um, and it's just like a really, really great film, if you haven't seen it. Brazil by Terry Gilliam is also up there, which is just simply one of my favorite movies. Not much more to say. Watch it if you haven't. Um, Victoria, which is another German film from 2015, I think. Um, that is on there, again, not because it's objectively that amazing as a movie, uh, but what it, it's got this gimmick where the whole thing is done in a single shot, and it's not... What's that movie? What's that one that came out recently, like... Birdman, Russian R. Birdman, that's the one. Yeah, so it's not, it's not like Birdman where it's, like, stitched together. It's, like, a proper one where it's, like a really bare bones crew, supernaturally lit, like Berlin nightlife thriller movie where it's like two and a half hours of just a single take, which is like most of the dialogue is improvised. I think the script is like 12 pages and it's just like the performances are so authentic and like, it's also like insanely tense for like the last half as well. And it's just like such an incredible feat of filmmaking. And I, I really like that movie. So I would say that is good. And then what was my last one? Um, and then Old Boy, another just like classic film, which is great. And if you haven't seen, you probably should see. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking about your journey, but mostly about advice, because I think, you know, a lot of the people that I have on my podcast are more aspirational. They're people that are a little further along in their career. So I think it's a, it mm -hmm. was very valuable to kind of hear someone who is doing so well, like only a few years out of film school. I think you had a lot of really good practical advice that we can, you know, use in the last couple of years of our, our film school experience, but, you know, moving out of film school as well. I think that was great. And thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks to those of you who ask questions. But that is all for this episode of Film Kid Asks. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram or join our Facebook group for information about upcoming guests. New episodes come out every Saturday. 